good morning. Well, my name is David. I'm the liturgist here this morning. It's my pleasure to be delivering the message to you as we continue in the book of John, chapter 8. We are entering back in from where we were last week in a prolonged discussion that uh, Jesus is having with the religious leaders uh, and the Pharisees. And when we look at what Jesus is talking about, we start to see that he's saying some pretty major things about who he is and about who God is. And what I'd like to talk about today is how he is giving all the people of his time, the religious leaders, a new paradigm. It's a word that Peter used earlier, a new paradigm on how to view God and how to view him. Now, a paradigm, just in case you want a refresher, uh, a definition for it is a set of theories that explain the way a particular subject is understood at a particular time. Really, it's a way you have of looking at the world. How reality appears to you is the paradigm from which you are viewing reality. And of course, these religious leaders, these experts, would have a definite paradigm for how they understood God. What I want to talk about today is how what Jesus is going to ask them, what he's going to ask them to do is to make a paradigm shift. That there's some new information he has for them that's going to change everything. Now, a paradigm shift, the definition for that is a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. We all have ways that we look at the world, but sometimes we get new information that changes our fundamental understandings of reality. And that's what we're going to see in some of the stuff that Jesus says to the religious leaders. Now, I have, for me, a uh, particular symbol that uh, makes me think of this idea of paradigm shift. Uh, And there's a little saying that I have that goes along with it that is going to make absolutely no sense to you. It's the saying, hyenas are not dogs. Do we have a picture of a hyena? There's a hyena for you. When I was a kid, we'll leave the hyena up there for a minute. They're one of my favorite animals now. Uh, When I was a kid, I loved wild animals. I loved going to the zoo. I collected little stuffed animals of different animals. I got every month in the mail a magazine called Zoo Books. And each each issue would be on a different type of animal. You know, there'd be sea lions or there'd be wolves or something like that. And they'd have all these charts and this information. I even collected trading cards of wild animals that I'd keep in this little plastic green box. Uh, And I became quite an expert in zoology, uh, you know, by the age of 10 or so. And if you had asked me what I wanted to be uh, when I grew up, it'd be I want to be a zookeeper because I loved learning so much about animals. Uh, This continued, this became a foundation of my understanding of myself uh, to the point where if you saw me now as an adult watching a nature show uh, with my wife or my son, which we do often, you might run into me acting a little bit like a know-it-all. They weren't teaching me anything new. I had a third grade (laughs) 
education in zoology. Uh, and so you can imagine, when I'm watching this show about African animals, and they start talking about an animal called the African wild dog. Sometimes it's called the African painted dog because it's got these really cool uh, patterns on it. And this narrator of the documentary says the African uh, wild dog is the largest wild dog in all of Africa. And out loud, I scoffed at the ignorance of this narrator. Because the African wild dog is about the size of a coyote or something like that. And I said, what, does this person not know anything about hyenas? Hyenas are huge. They're obviously the biggest dogs in Africa. And I thought, boy, someone messed up doing their research. And so I looked on my phone just to make sure that I could double check that I was right. And I found out that hyenas are in no way related to dogs. That looks like a dog to me still, but they're not related to dogs, they're not related to cats, they're, they're, they're classification is a hyena, which is like, means they're their own thing. The closest thing they're related to is a weasel. Uh, I am aware that this might be the most trivial sermon illustration I've ever done, but for me it made a big impact. I said, what are you talking about? If you had asked me prior to this to lay a bet down on what type of uh, animal a hyena was, it would be no contest. I wouldn't even think about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just as clear as a lion is a cat, that a wolf is a type of dog, a hyena to me was a type of dog. And then I learned I was wrong, and this created a paradigm shift in my understanding of myself. I don't know what I'm talking about, is what I realized. And my wife and my son witnessed this. Uh, and so, you know, whenever, you know, I've, I've even talked about this moment with my high school classrooms, and I've shown them the pictures. I'm like, look at them. They're like, I don't, is that, it doesn't look like a dog to me, Mr. Pjork. And I'm like, I think I'm crazy. Uh, my entire life, it was a sure fact. Uh, and then it was completely uh, removed and I found out that I didn't know what I was talking about. This was a paradigm shift for me in being able to, un to rely on my own understanding of the facts. Now, obviously, this is a silly one, uh, even though I still think about it to this day. This was years ago that this happened, too. Uh, there's been more serious paradigm shifts in human history. I mean, if we're talking about major paradigm shifts, there was a time in human history where all humans were very sure that the universe revolved around the Earth. And then they found out, oh, oh, that's not true. And there was a major paradigm shift in our understanding of our place in the universe. There was a time in history where they weren't quite sure what caused diseases. Then all of a sudden they discovered these little things called germs and the whole world changed. There was, if you're talking about specific fields like physics, we have theories like Einstein's theory of relativity, which will cause a, a complete paradigm shift in the understanding of the physical universe. Uh, while I was researching this, I was looking for other facts, and then I found out alligators can climb trees. And that completely changed my understanding of the world, and not for the better. Uh, and uh, th certain things happen to our world that we can't control that change the way we understand reality. Technology, the Industrial Revolution, completely changed the way we understood manufacturing, power, the way uh, things can be made, the way we interact with our, the natural world. And some people think we are at one of the 
biggest paradigm shifts in our understanding of reality now as we, as we are encountering the digital age, the internet, artificial intelligence. What is this going to do for our conception of reality? What kind of shift will this be for us? Those are major, major paradigm shifts. But what I'm saying is that they all fail to compare to what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8. Because what we have here is the biggest paradigm shift in all of history. So let's see what it is and turn to John chapter 8. We're starting in verse 21. Jesus is in the midst of a conversation with the Pharisees and religious leaders. And we'll begin here. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. So within this small section of Scripture, we have some major revelations that are going to shift the paradigm of how these religious leaders understand the world. First of all, Jesus is making major revelations about who he is. They ask this question in the middle of section, who are you? I like his, the way he talks because it's in one part really philosophical and mysterious, but also it sounds like he's talking to like a four-year-old. He says, he says, you are from below, I am from above. Uh, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Uh, in part, that's, what does that mean? Like, well, he's sure talking to us like we're not very smart. Uh, and then he has this phrase twice in here that's very important. He says, I am he. Now, these are called I am statements by Jesus. And they're supposed to make us think of something else that's happened in the Bible that was a famous I am statement. Many of you are probably already thinking of it now. It's when Moses first talked to God when he encountered the burning bush, and God tells him, you're going to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And we have this in Exodus 13. Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now you better believe that the religious leaders know that piece of scripture. So when Jesus keeps dropping that I am statement, they're saying, is this guy somehow equating himself 
to God. He says he's from above, that he's divine, that he's God. And of course, we know that is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is establishing his divinity. Now, that is a major paradigm shift. And what's interesting is not only is he establishing his divinity, but when he does that and establishes his authority to speak about these things, he has major revelations about who God is. Because he doesn't just say, I am he. He says this in verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I am he. Jesus is God. The Father is God. And what we see Jesus doing is laying the groundwork for the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, John is doing this throughout the book of John. I mean, the very first verse in the book of John is, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God. I mean, this is already, John's telling us right at the beginning, I'm going to say something that's going to completely blow your mind when it comes to your conception of what God is. The Father and the Son. And that this has existed throughout eternity. Often, uh, I know when I read the Bible growing up, there's just kind of a picture you have of the narrative of the Old Testament God, then all of a sudden he has a son. Oh, look, God had a son. Congratulations, God. And then we move on. But I like what uh, John Collins of the Bible Project uh, comments here. The Bible Project is a wonderful uh, uh, podcast and set of videos that goes deep into some themes in the Bible. And they're talking about the Trinity, and he says this. I think what's interesting is when I think of the categories I had of the Trinity and the Godhead, well, I thought that God the Father is Yahweh. And so when I look back and I read about God in the Old Testament, that's just God the Father. But what Jesus is saying is, no, no one knows the Father. What you've been experiencing and what humans have been interacting with and experiences, experiencing of God isn't just God the Father. And what I'm realizing is that the relationship, this experience that Jesus had with God and who God was, as the Father, is unique to Jesus. No one else has had that. And no one else can have it unless Jesus reveals it to them. It just goes to show this trinity, this idea of God the Father, of the Son. Nobody knew about that until Jesus came and told them about it. This is about as big of a paradigm shift as you can get when you're talking about the understanding who and what God is. And that it's not a change in what God is. It's not all of a sudden Jesus says, everything's changing, we're going to do this differently. It's a further revelation of what it's been, as Jesus says, in, when they ask, who are you? He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. It's always been this way. RVG Tasker says this on this verse, the teaching that Jesus is now giving and has been giving since the beginning of his earthly ministry reveals fully and finally the nature of God as he has been from all eternity and has been shown to be through the words of his inspired prophets. So when we look at this section of what Jesus is saying, these are 
full of bombshells when it comes to the nature of God. He says, I, I am from above. I am divine. And so is my father. And they're scrambling, the religious leaders, to go, what do we do with this? And this is the moment where they have the opportunity for a paradigm shift. Can they follow Jesus in this road he's starting to lead them down? Bruce Milne, in his commentary on this section, says this about the position the Pharisees are in. As the teachers of Israel, professing to know God and to be the official guardians of his truth, they were, in fact, and the irony could hardly be greater, strangers to the living God. The possibility of knowing God, however, is now open to them in Jesus. So they have a chance to follow Jesus into the true knowledge of who God is. But as we see, it's hard for them to make that shift. But it's a shift we all have to make to enter into this new paradigm that Jesus is offering to us. When he introduces the idea of the Trinity, it's not just an academic matter. It completely changes the way we can relate to God. Let's look at this verse in 19. He says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. We find out that not only do we have this trinity, the God that's the Father and the Son, but that they love each other. That the Son always does what pleases the Father, and that the Father never leaves him alone. And so, the title of this sermon is what I believe Jesus is inviting us all into. A paradigm of love. The Father loves the Son and always has. In John 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father, he says this, Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is something that has always existed. The love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Tim Mackey, also of the Bible Project, has this wonderful comment about this verse from John 17. He says, we get this window into Jesus' experiences of his Father for eternity past. And it's the word love. A relationship of love. And so if that's fundamental, if the eternal state of God for a Christian is the Father loving the Son in and through the Spirit, that has the power to completely revolutionize your concept of God. And that's what the Trinity has done. And to view God as the Trinity never stops at the Trinity because the whole point is that this God is inviting all creation into the love. By essence, The Father loves the Son and so sends out the Son so that others can be invited into the family of love. And every time we come here, it's to join the family of love because that has been the truth 
of God from the beginning of time. And then what we need to do is accept that invitation by making that paradigm shift into love. And sometimes, just as it was hard for the Pharisees to reconsider the notions of what they thought they were experts in, we have to be able to get into that paradigm of love, and there are things that get in our way. Our own paradigms we've set up for our own identities, for how we interact with the world. Perhaps you, from the way you've grown up, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with the people around you, things that have happened to you, has instead set up some paradigm of your identity that's more based in rejection, abandonment, unworthiness, ugliness, failure. That that's been the dominant paradigm over your life. And what God wants to do is reject that as a lie and enter you into the truth of his paradigm of love. One of my favorite writers, Henry Nouwen, has a book all about this. It's called Life of the Beloved. That our true identity is the beloved of God. I want to read you something he says. He says, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved and constitutes the core truth of our existence. The core truth of your existence, no matter how you want to argue it, is that God loves you and he wants you to forget everything else and enter into that family of love. And really, he says, now and says it's the truth of our existence. It's the truth of all existence. The love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that is the essence of God has existed for eternity. And the world was created so that we can enter into that relationship with them through Jesus. So why not say yes to that? Why not say, okay, I'll be loved and so I'd like to close with a prayer that we can enter into to say yes to that invitation and to give you a chance, especially as we enter into a moment of intimacy with God through communion, a chance to say no to those possible existing paradigms of self-rejection and to say yes to the paradigm of love that God wants you to live under to understand yourself in. So will you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you came and that you brought this message of truth to us, this invitation into your family of love. And Lord, we pray over every person here that if there is some lie hanging over them, about who they are, 
some paradigm of self-rejection, that you would break that with the power of the Holy Spirit. That the clouds in their mind and heart would part and the light of your love would shine in upon them. And Lord, for anyone already in that paradigm of love, we just pray that they can bask in it to better soak in the understanding that you are the creator of the entire universe and that you love them. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.